Wikipedia, Google, where did you find it? Welcome. If you're visiting, I'm Scott. This is my wife, Melissa. I'm the pa- one of the pastors at Adventure, and today we begin a new series in the Gospel of John entitled, Good News for a Change. Who's ready for, like, good news? Good news. Who's ready for good news that will change you, that will actually make your summer better? Who wants to have a great summer? We're going to give you a tool that we think can really open the door to a great summer for you as we go through this uh, series. We think it'll be a real blessing. I first want to say, moms, the world thinks you're amazing, moms, and to your families, you mean the world. You're everything. And so we're super grateful for you. Happy Mother's Day, Melissa. Gospel of John, good news for a change. Do you remember, though, the ripple effect of bad news on January 23rd? We're going to begin a little, a little dark here. Remember what happened January 23rd, 2018? Did you hear or see this tweeted? Here we go. Threat to Hawaii. A missile may impact on land or sea within minutes. You remember this that morning? This is not a drill. If you are indoors, stay indoors. If you are outdoors, seek immediate shelter in a building. Remain indoors well away from windows. If you are driving, pull safely to the side of the road and seek shelter in a building or lay on the floor. Thank you for that incredibly gross, sad audio report. The truth is is that families were making their ways into manholes under the streets. University students were running across campuses. People were vacating uh, the beaches to get to shelter because they had minutes. They were told, you have minutes before a ballistic missile could actually hit the island of Hawaii. It was very, very traumatic. And it all came because an employee thought, he really thought we were under attack, or she, I don't know, doesn't matter. Um, But it was awful, awful, awful time. The amazing impact of an event that it had on a whole region. Some news can be very negative. Other news can have an incredibly positive impact, an incredibly positive impact. And that is the message of the Gospel of John, because Jesus' impact had tremendous influence and ripple effect in the Mediterranean, throughout the Roman world, throughout the Eastern world, and as it is today. We're all here because of the good news. Look around. We're here because of Jesus, right? And so we're here to celebrate that today. We believe that the reason the Gospel had such impact Such a ripple effect in the first century is because Jesus is, he still is, the most influential man in the world. And we know we've had a lot of influential people, even in our, even in the U.S. We've had Bob Hope in the last 20 years. We've had Johnny Cash. We've had Steve Jobs. But now we have no hope, no cash, and no jobs. (laughs) And our biggest fear is that Kevin Bacon will die. So what is the historical influence? What? what? It's a bad joke. (laughs) What is the ripple effect? What is the ripple effect of the most historical person, the most influential person on the planet, Jesus Christ? Really, what what has been his impact? And what I think is quite disturbing, annoying at points is people who experience the benefits of the influence Jesus brings while simultaneously trying to move Jesus out. When they don't recognize the extreme influence his life has brought to the world that they live in. First of all, the 
idea of equality. Cicero, a Roman philosopher, rank must be preserved. That was the rule at the time, that where you are is where you stay. But uh, Paul writes in Galatians, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. That came about because of the life of Christ. Next is children. In the Roman era, we drown children at birth when they are weak and abnormal. Yet, because of the influence of Christ, let the little children come to me. Children were viewed as gifts from God, valuable, important to women. There's always a push for women's equality, but Jesus is the one who started the whole movement. If you are delivered of a child, in a Roman letter it was written, if you were delivered of a child, if it is a boy, keep it. If a girl discarded, now I never understood if you discard all of the girls. Yeah. What? But uh, Jesus is the one, um, in Luke it's recorded, the 12 were with him and also some women. He had women that were a major part of his ministry that he honored and valued, that Jesus was the one who moved women up in value. Melissa, it's a fascinating piece recorded only in Luke's gospel that there were women even associated with Herod's court that were not only not only helping the uh, 12, but they were financially supporting the 12 in their ministry. It's, to me, it's astounding. Next is compassion. And this, to me, is one of the most important factors that Jesus changed with his life is the idea of compassion. Christians established the first hospitals, the first homeless shelters, the first homes for orphans, the first outreaches to prisoners, hospital patients, and soldiers, and the first society for the prevention of cruelty to animals. Lewis Palau records that in his book, God is Relevant. And what is so powerful about the compassion that the church brings is we're not just bringing compassion, but we bring meaning and hope with that compassion, and that all started because of the life of Christ. Forgiveness. Before Christ, it was eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, retribution, we pay back our family honor, but Christ brought the idea of forgiveness. The discoverer of the role of forgiveness in the realm of human affairs was Jesus of Nazareth. Anna Arendt, who's the first woman in full professorship at Princeton, says that, and now we know even though there's been a time where this idea of forgiveness might feel um, anti, the antithesis of what we want to do, research proves over and over again that forgiveness is more beneficial for the forgiver than it is for the person being forgiven. And that idea of forgiveness all came from Jesus. In literature and culture, the whole rise, the Renaissance period, the rebirth, and all the amazing art and music came out of the church. The Christ-inspired classics by Bunyan, Dostoevsky, Tolstoy, Pascal, Solzhenitsyn, Dickens, Milton, Defoe, no one can deny, are incredible. Musical works by Handel, Bach, Mendelssohn, Beethoven, Mozart, many others, and the great works of art by Da Vinci, Michelangelo, Raphael, Rembrandt, etc. John Ert. Ortberg records that in his book, Who is Man?, that emphasizes how Jesus really has changed the world. And I think you, if you ask the question, what would life be like 
without the without Christ's ripple effect going throughout Western and Eastern culture, without the uh, his influence to create equality for uh, slave or free or male or female or Jew or Greek? What would life be like without Jesus' teaching about the equality of women, about the value of children, about the importance of compassion? Remember, Jesus is the one that said, whatsoever you do to the vulnerable, you've done unto me. And so Christ followers realize that when I show compassion, I'm actually doing it to Jesus. It's a very personal one-on-one initiative that I take. What would life be like? What would literature be like without Christology in it? What would life be like here? It'd be just brutal. And you can see some nations actually lean that direction in their pursuit of an atheistic culture. There is no right or wrong. You can't, there is no moral standard. There is no honor. There is no deference. It's everyone does what is right in their own eyes. And it can be a really dark, there are dark seasons we see in that as well. The Library of Congress, did you know, has 17,239 separate books about Jesus. And you think, yeah, they were probably all written, you know, hundreds of years ago, back in the old days. Philip Yancey, author of Where's God When It Hurts, an incredible writer on suffering, actually, says that more books have been written about Jesus in the last 30 years than in the previous 19 centuries. So, so, so Jesus is still a bestseller in the last 30 years. He still fascinates people. He's everywhere. You know in Sacramento, golf is big. We have as many golf courses in Sacramento as most uh, communities. You can't go to a golf course without hearing the name Jesus mentioned. Just watch a guy miss a putt. They give honor to him. They don't say George Washington. They don't say Muhammad Gandhi. They say Jesus. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? That's, this is the question we're going to answer all summer. And we provided you a tool so you can follow along with us this summer. And it, for a few things. Number one, he was Jesus' best friend. Number two, he leaned on Jesus' breast frequently. They were close. John was a real affectionate. Three, what I love about John is he preached the shortest sermon. He was criticized for a short preaching. His sermon, brethren love one another. Amen. You're dismissed. Have a great week. I mean, they were awesome messages. What I also love about him is he got the honor of caring for Jesus' mother. When Jesus, when Jesus went on to be with his father, Jesus entrusted him the uh, responsibility for caring for his mother, Mary. John did that. John also lived to be a centenarian, lived well past 100, they say up to 110. He was, he was a surfer. He lived on the coast of the Mediterranean and on the island of Patmos. He was a fisherman turned writer. He wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, which are real brief, and then he wrote a real simple letter to read called Revelation. I mean, the guy, God used him in incredible ways, and he had such close proximity to Jesus during his ministry. That's why when you read it this summer, you're going to be amazed by the detail he has of Jesus' conflicts, specifically at festivals in Jerusalem. They're awesome. And you're going to get to see him watch Jesus help the vulnerable, to help the hurting to respond to people. John's an awesome dude. If I could be like anyone, it would be to be like John. I think everyone would be like John. Who doesn't want to be Jesus' best friend, right? Totally. So use this outline as a tool to get us in. So the question we're asking this this summer is, who is Jesus? And we want to begin 
with this first. Jesus is, wait for it, Jesus is, don't miss this, Jesus is God. Fully God. Jesus is God. These are the opening words of John's biography on Jesus. Let me just read them to you and then ask you to join me when I get to the red. Here we go. He starts like Moses does in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the, the word, word was God. God. Through, Through him, him all, all things, things were made. made. Without and him, nothing was made that has been made. So when he's talking about the word here, in the original Greek, it's the word logos, which the Greeks viewed as reason. They believed that reason held everything together. It created all things, and it held everything together. This letter is written to both Jews or Hebrews and Greeks. Paul is trying to teach us that this, this word was in the beginning with God and was responsible for the creation that we have today. John's going deep on us. Fishermen can go deep. He's doing that right now. Here's a nice explanation of the word that comes from Wearsby, Warren Wearsby. He says this, much as our words reveal to others our hearts and minds, so Jesus Christ is God's word to reveal his heart and mind to us. You want to know God? You want to know the Father? Know Jesus. You want to know who God is? Know Jesus. I heard a story one of my friends shared. Years ago, he was speaking at a a youth conference at what was Arco Arena. Hundreds of kids coming forward to give their life to Jesus Christ and make him the leader of their life. And one girl came forward and she said, I don't know what everyone else is experiencing, but I don't like God. I don't believe in him. And my friend said to her, describe to me the God you know. And she described a God that was toxic, a God that was just judgmental, a God that was like a, a, just a judge. And he began to tell her, let me tell you about a God that's compassionate. Let me tell you about a God that has mercy. Let me tell you about a God who will pursue you, who will leave the 99 to find you. And she met the God that John is writing about in the Gospel of John. So the first piece here is Jesus is God. If that doesn't convince you, let Steve Harvey convince you here. Of bringing out Christ. This is just how I would write. And gentlemen, this is how I would do it. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my honor to introduce a man who needs no introduction. His credits are too long to list. He has done the impossible time after time. In Bethlehem, Jerusalem, by way of heaven. His mother is still headlining in the Catholic Church today. His daddy is the author of a book that has been on the bestseller list since the beginning of time. He holds the record for the world's greatest fish fry. He fed 
thousand hungry souls with two fish, five loaves of bread. He can walk on water, turn water into wine. No special effects, no camera tricks. He has a headshot on every church fan across the country. Even before the kings of comedy, he was hailed the king of all kings, ruler of the universe, alpha and omega, beginning and the end, the bright and the morning star. Some say he's the Rose of Sharon, and some say he's the Prince of Peace. Get up on your feet. Put your hands together and show your love for the second coming of the one and only. Awesome. So the first, the first point John is making and that we will continue to focus on in the next two weeks in chapter one is that Jesus is God. God. I mean, that's his point. He's the God that was there in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. And so what you have to reason is that when Genesis 1 begins, let us make man in our own image, that us includes Jesus. He was part of the us plurality of God, the Trinity of God. And some of you, that might be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, that's too much. Here's a simple way to see the Trinity. The Trinity is like an egg. It can have three. It, when you hold an egg, there's three parts there. There's a shell, there's a white, and there's an o- a yolk. That may help you understand how God could be three in one. Jesus the Son, God the Father, and God the Holy Spirit that comes into a believer that lives in us, the Spirit of Jesus that lives in us when we believe in Him who died for our sins, was buried and resurrected from the dead. The power that raised him from the dead comes into us. So we experience fellowship with God through the Holy Spirit. That's how it happens. It's not by our own works. It's by trusting in him, God, who made a way. So besides, uh, first we know Jesus is God, but Jesus was also the epitome of grace and truth. He is the, the originator of that idea, and I believe it's the concept that really If you don't have both of those things, you don't move forward. So you can have truth slapped in your face, and you have like a toxic environment if it's all truth. And sometimes work can be that way, home can be that way, where you just speak the truth. Or you can have grace. Oh, they're just so cute and just grace, just love them. They can't help it. But you prevent that employee from moving forward because you won't tell them the truth. You're just living in grace. Yet they wonder why they never get a promotion because you were just giving grace. You wonder why your child doesn't grow and mature because you're only giving grace. But Jesus brought both of those things, grace and truth. And we haven't read uh, John 1.14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace Grace and and truth. truth. So Jesus lives a life of grace and truth that we can mimic and thus 
move forward in our life like Christ did as well. In the first century, there was a movement called Gnosticism, which was arguing that Jesus was just a spirit. And John is trying to clarify, no, the word became flesh. And so the Godhead became fully human. Uh, God, Jesus is God personified in a human body. And so that helps us understand a little bit of how we can trust his communication of grace and truth because he was fully man, fully God, tempted in every way that we're tempted and yet without sin. Jesus is the son full of grace and truth. But here's, like Melissa said, the challenge is we all need both. Truth without grace is mean. No one wants to hang around with that person, do you? (laughs) Grace without truth is meaningless. Did you ever hear the story about the um, mafia brothers? Uh, The truth is, one of them them dies, and the surviving brother goes to a local preacher and says, hey, you got to do my brother's funeral. The pastor says, I cannot do uh, the funeral of a mafia boss. And he says, hey, if you do the funeral, I will... Um, I'll give you your church $5,000. And he says, five grand? He says, yes, but you got to say at the funeral that my brother was a saint. The pastor thinks about it and says, I got to say he was a saint? Yeah, he says, you got to do that. Well, the day of the funeral, the pastor gets the check. He climbs up to the pulpit, and this is what he says. Hey, the man we buried today was a total scoundrel, gangster, violent, thief, embezzler, liar. But compared to his brother, he was a total saint. (laughs) The temptation is to compare. The temptation is to think that we don't need grace. Hey, I'm Scott Matthews. I'm one of the pastors here. I need the grace of God every day of my life. Melissa, do you need God's grace? Yes. Okay, good answer. Yes. Yes. Way more than I want to um, admit, but... Grace without truth is meaningless. And there's a story called Death by GPS uh, in Death Valley. It was in Sackville not that long ago. But a mom uh, was trying to have a fun little camping vacation with her four-year-old and their little dachshund. And they went, rented a vehicle, uh, drove from Vegas to into Death Valley and had a flat tire. The last thing her family heard from her is, we have a flat tire. I think it was a phone call. And they fixed the flat tire. They started back up and are using the GPS and follow it into this road of sand. The vehicle gets stuck. And it's just her and her four-year-old. So she's not able to do anything to get out of the sand. It's the remotest of remotest areas, according to the authorities. So she and her son try to climb up to a high point, no cell reception. And eventually, a couple days later, the, her son dies. Because they had, you know, they were thinking they were going to be gone just a little bit. Like they had, I don't remember, a cheese sandwich and, you know, probably a bottle of water. And finally, uh, five days later, when she doesn't show for work, they recognize something's wrong. They look for her. They find her. And, of course, she thought she was following GPS. And the authorities say, this is the problem. We have all these people renting vehicles using GPS. They don't know how to work. And it leads them to places that they shouldn't be going. 
And I think a lot of times we live that way in our lives. We don't recognize that Jesus and his life is really the only GPS that we can trust to take us where we need to go. Amen. We're just like floating around aimlessly or we're using just the advice from someone across the street or what our parents did instead of recognizing the only GPS we can really trust is following the life of Christ. And I have to say that I know by God's grace there are so many problems I have not had to experience because from by God's grace, from a very young age, I was taught that the scripture is what you use for life. That there is life in Christ because we're following his example, because he is the truth that we need to make our life full. So Jesus is the man about grace and truth, that combination. Not one or the other, not either or, both and will help move you forward. Where do we find the truth and grace? We find it, as you mentioned, in the scriptures. In the scriptures. And that's what we want to do in this series. And we want you to not just be doing here on Sunday morning, but is by reading the book of John this summer. That's going to be our summer series. We're hoping that the GPS for your life and for our life really becomes more a part of us. So how are we going to... Uh, do this by reading the Gospel of John and really getting to know Jesus. So we're going to be in this series for weeks. And so we just invite you. There's 21 chapters in the Gospel of John. We just invite you to use your Sunday nights and read as a family or as a couple, maybe Saturday mornings, whatever it works, and read the Gospel of John. And I challenge you to read it out loud. Or even invite your children to read it and kind of trods through it. And when they ask you a question and you don't know the answer, you just say, hey, uh, you know, mother, we'll get back to you shortly. It, you just read it and, and let the scriptures be heard in your home and see what Jesus does to bring life to you. Now, some of you are like, oh, that was simple. That's the challenge this summer. Here's another level. Another level is to buy a or download. You can download this book for about $7 online um, on your iPad or iPhone or Kindle. Download Warren Wiersbe's um, Bible study series on John. It's simple, but he'll take you a little deeper, and you'll be able to really kind of get some good historical background, covenant background, words, grammar, um, parallel passages that will help you know John even better. So that's kind of the next level. And if that's not enough, there'll be one or two of you that wants to go even deeper. By you can't download it, D.A. Carson's The Gospel of John. He's a total exegetical scholar, and you can go as deep. It is considered the number one commentary on the Gospel of John. D.A. Carson, the Gospel of John. It's, it comes in hardback if only. I can say, it's don't be afraid to not understand it all. I think sometimes we, we stop reading if we feel like, I don't get this. You don't have to get it all to get enough. And the more you read it, the more you'll understand it. And John is different. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are much more straightforward accounts, and John really delves more into the whole spiritual nature of Christ. So don't be afraid to just get some of it. It's really okay. Yep. I, I was reading it out loud in the last couple of weeks, and I read stuff. I'm like, I've never seen that. Awesome little pieces that are really fun. And I like to underline and just say, yeah, that's for me today. That's for me today. It's awesome. So, 
Jesus is the man of grace and truth. Jesus is God. Thirdly, Jesus is not about religion. He's about rebirth. In the third chapter, Jesus comes out and tells a teacher who came to kind of go toe-to-toe with him. He just tells him straight up, unless you're born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And the guy's like, born again, what? You mean like that woman who had 63 kids? I got I to be, or 69, I got to be born again? And he says, I'm not talking about going back into the womb. He says, unless you're born of the spirit that I was mentioning earlier, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, unless that spirit is in you, you don't have new life. That's how you're born again. The spirit of Jesus comes into your heart and begins to transform you and change you. And the moment you place your faith in Jesus is the moment that rebirth starts. And as you follow Jesus, you move from a rebirth to rebirth to rebirth, or better said, from transformation to transformation to transformation. You move increasingly close to enjoying the life that is fully life. Whether you're single or married, no matter what your status is, you get the chance to enjoy the life that is truly life. And I do think sometimes, um, especially those of us who might be a little bit older, we're afraid that faith is going to be about all of these don'ts. Don't, 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 don't do this, don't do that, don't smoke, don't chew, don't go with girls who do, as they used to say when I was growing up. (laughs) But it really is more about what we should be doing It's more about what should be happening in our hearts. And if we're moving towards how, as Christ followers, we shouldn't, we won't feel like we're missing out on the things that really, as Christ followers, we should not be doing because we're seeing the benefits of how a life in Christ transforms us and makes our lives better. Better, and I would even say in some regard, lighter weight. Oh, yeah, and I think... just not as... And, and don't misunderstand. I know we have families in our church that are have incredible weights on their shoulders. Incredible. But there's but, something about the grace and truth uh, and the transformation that comes from the comfort of the Holy Spirit that makes those weights lighter. Right, and, the, and that if you're trusting that what God's Word sets out for you, initially... There's so many times that feels like the harder decision to do what you know Scripture says is right. I just know, like in high school especially, all those times that you have a choice to make the right decision or the wrong decision, and the, wrong, and the right decision feels so much harder, but you make that right decision and everything's easier. It's, good it's just over and over again, God has proven that to me, that the harder decision, if it's the right decision, is still always in the end the easier decision. And that comes by faith. Absolutely. It's but faith. My, it takes faith to take that kind of step. Takes, Whatever yeah. your step is, do that. That doesn't look comfortable, and yet, absolutely not. I don't right. feel like that. I don't want to do that. That doesn't look comfortable, and yet... That's the step that you're being asked to take, and when you take it, favor follows you. Right. It's, it's, it's a, good living. God never disappointed so me. this kind of faith that is a transformational faith is, is the kind of faith John is aimed for. It's easily, it could easily be said that this is the purpose of the gospel of John. It comes from chapter 1 when he says this. These things are written that you may believe, believe that Jesus is the Messiah. That means chosen one the Son of God, and that by his name, 
I just think, I just think about like enjoying the presence of Jesus wherever I'm at. No matter if it's a long line, no matter if someone hasn't seen the green light and, and we missed the whole light, no matter if someone just stole my parking space because they drive a Mini Cooper and they could get in quicker than I could, no matter what, no matter what's happening, I can be like, wow, I get to experience Jesus another day, the life that's truly life. But this happens with an authentic faith. And I think this is very hard in our culture because we are inundated with information and noise and news and broadcasts, and we're on our phones. They say eight hours, four hours a day. Uh, It's well, and sometimes even like we're talking about news, sometimes we make the mistake of listening too much to the news, which can be a complete discouragement in and of itself, because the news keeps telling us it's bad, it's bad, it's bad, it's bad, and. So instead, we should shut off the news and turn on the good news of Christ that really transforms us and gives all of us hope that we can be transformed. Your life can be transformed every day. And there are still areas in my life that I'm, I'm, I still need to be saying, I am going to choose what Christ wants so that that can be transformed. There's always transformation that can happen which is exciting. So how does this transformation happen, Melissa? Well, faith in God's power frees me from fear. Faith in God's promises frees me from anxiety. And and I can tell you, personally speaking, that so many times I'm choosing to trust in God's power. And once again, this all started when I was in high school, and my sister and I drove used cars. Anybody else in here a family of used cars? Which leads to great faith. It really does. And so we would travel. We didn't travel that much, but we would go on like when we got our driver's license back in the day, people would let 17-year-olds drive seven hours away. But our cars, you know, there was always a rule. You don't ever turn the car off. Even gas or not, didn't matter. We would never turn our car off because if we did, invariably it would not start again. And I'm not kidding. And one night especially, I remember, we uh, were driving and we got pulled over by the cops. And these were girls. We feared God and we were driving the speed limit. And we're like, why is he pulling us over? He pulls us over. Our car lights are dimming because the, uh, what's that belt called? Alternator belt. And we sort of knew we might have this problem. So we had to pull over. These two 17-year-olds were staying in a hotel by ourselves, and we're like, how do we solve this problem? So we parked it at the gas station, which was right by the hotel, and he charged the battery for us. So, Because you can drive. I know way too much about cars. You can drive without an alternator in the daytime because nothing is draining the battery. But you can't drive without an alternator at night because then the the lights drain the battery. Wow. If you have any other used Thank car you. questions, come see me. But do you, um, do, you, do you have a YouTube channel? On I'll start one. Okay. But so so here we are in this hotel room, and I think for dinner we bought chips and and stuff at the gas station. That was by the hotel. Detail. Good detail. I'm sorry, I might get in trouble for all this no, detail. But it was a moment where Michelle and I really had to trust God that there was no reason to fear. It's just a broken car. It's not 
the world is not coming to an end, but those moments where we were choosing to have faith, even in the small things, to not let fear rule because Christ has all the power. So why am I worried? He does care about me. And just those, those moments this Friday night, Senior Project Night, it's this huge event. I need all these people. All these things can go wrong. And I choose. There's no worry. Scripture, who by worrying adds a single hour to his life. So by taking those passages and living in faith that God means those things, that's what real transformational faith can do. God's faith, uh, God's grace frees me from guilt. I can't tell you the times I've made bad decisions and the joy and the relief of taking that to Christ and confessing. If we confess our sins, Christ is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and heal us from all unrighteousness. That's a verse that you live in transformational faith. A faith in God's presence frees me from loneliness. There is never a moment, even if you feel alone, you are not alone. And you need to live in the faith that Christ is there with you in that moment. No matter what the moment of loneliness this is, if it's a, a stressful situation, if it's a waking up in the middle of the night, that you know if you will take time to live in that moment and say, Christ, I know you're here, he will be there. It's that transformational faith changes everyday life. Faith that God's working frees me from discouragement. If I'm discouraged by circumstances or my own performance, I become aware that, hey, God is more concerned about developing someone in me than he is me changing the circumstances around me. And so I'm confident, hey, he who began a good work in me will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. That's his goal. He's trying to change this and change this so I can be the useful servant that he wants me to be. Faith that God has had a purpose for my life frees me from, the, from meaningless existence. I think every day we see circumstances that where God's aligning people and resources together to show us he's leading, he's providing. Where God is guiding, he's providing in every sector of our lives. We can see that uh, come true. Well, and I think uh, no matter what job you hold, no matter what you do to earn a living for your family, the life of Christ brings meaning to that because Christ wants to see you be a light to the world. So no matter where that light is shining, you have a chance to change the whole circumstance, the whole environment of where you are if you're viewing your life through the eyes of Christ, that you are a light to the world. And your faith may be at a place where you've kind of shrunk back. You've, you're kind of waning in your faith. You feel like you have a weak faith. Here's the deal. It's never too late to come home and start rekindling your faith. Jesus said it this way, for God so loved the world. That's everybody in the world that he gave his one and only son. He gave his son so we would have faith in him and move the ball forward in all of our faith. That whoever believes in him, that, that's, that's not just a one-off believing in him. It's a daily choice to believe in him, shall not perish, but have eternal life. It's never too late to come home. Maybe today's a day in just a few moments where you say, yeah, I need to start taking some steps in my faith. I need to read the gospel of John. I need to do it. I need to grow in my faith. The question we ask today is, who is Jesus? 
We're saying Jesus is he's God. Fully man, fully God. Jesus is the son full of grace and truth. And thirdly, Jesus is not about religion. He's about rebirth, transformation. That's his goal.